At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 397th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. Today on our podcast, we have someone who got bit by the farming bug and loves it. We're talking with Michael Bell about part-time urban farming. Michael is a physical education teacher and father of four who in April of 2016 bought a half acre of non-residential zone land a mere six miles from downtown Dallas. He started clearing the small 1,000-foot sections using a weed eater and billboard signs. That fall, he planted his first 30-inch bed with Solanova and a few cherry tomatoes and became hooked. He now has 67 25-foot beds focusing on greens, carrots, beets, and a couple of other veggies. He hopes to transition from full-time teacher to full-time farmer in the next couple of years. Welcome to the show today, Michael. Are you ready to rock the urban farm? Yes, sir. Let's get into it. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure. Like you said, I bought my land two and a half years ago. I actually bought it on my birthday, April the 14th. You bought the farm on your birthday? Yes, sir. That's a pun as well as a congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, I signed the paperwork actually on my birthday. I paid $7,500 for the half acre. And it's very ironic because that's how much my grandma left me when she died 20 years ago. Wow. I won't say I was her favorite grandkid, but I was. (laughs) I always stayed the night with her and we had a 
vegetable garden on the side of her house, tomatoes, peppers from like the age of five. And that's where I really fell in love with gardening and everything. So I found this piece of land. The price was the exact amount of money she left me in her will. And I said, this is what I'm supposed to spend my money on. I haven't spent it in 20 years. So I bought the land and went and, you know, really got to looking around and found a little section that wasn't too bad that I thought was a good starting point. Mm -hmm. So took a weed eater from the house, went over to the lot in the middle of April. And in Texas, in the middle of April, it's already reaching 90, 95 degrees. Just started weed whacking the six foot Johnson grass and the weeds and, you know, that kind of stuff and cleared a nice little spot. And I thought, you know, I can't farm this. It's too grassy and weedy and stuff. I can't do that. What do I need to do? And I remember watching one of Curtis Stone's YouTube videos that he uses, you know, tarps to kill the grass. And I said, well, I can't afford a tarp. So I went home, I got on Craigslist and I started typing in tarps and different things. And a guy was selling old billboard signs, 10 foot by 40 foot. And they're like $30 a piece. Wow. This is like the vinyl, right? Yeah. This is the heavy duty stuff you see going down the interstate up on the big sign. They're weatherproof, heavy, heavy duty stuff. Right. So I called the guy and I said, Hey, you know, will you take a little bit less if I buy four of them? And he said, yeah, I'll take 30 bucks a piece. I said, I'll be there tomorrow. And he was about 10 miles from my house. So I went and bought four of them, took them out and somehow unfolded them and got them all set up by myself. And I said, well, there ain't nothing I can do right now. I've got to let the sun and, you know, let time do its job. So I didn't do really anything else that summer, mainly because it's so hot down here during the summer. And, mm -hmm. you know, I had to give the grass time to die and decompose a little bit. So that fall in September, when it cooled off a little bit, I pulled the billboard signs back and it's like the most perfect bed you could imagine. I said, this is great. I shoved a shovel down in there. I mean, I hardly put any body weight on it. And it went all the way to the stick of the shovel. Laid out, bought a roll of landscape fabric, laid it out, burnt my holes, Bought some Salanova, planted the seed in the trays and transplanted them and a few cherry tomatoes because I thought, well, if anybody buys salad from me, they're probably going to want cherry tomatoes too. And off I went. And from there, I've just taken my time and been patient and expanded, you know, as I go, the spaces that I have. And this past summer, I had huge expectations of what I was going to do. You know, it didn't quite work out the way I wanted to, but I now have the setup to really move forward in the future. Like I spent a lot of time getting beds made and getting everything set up so that moving forward, hopefully all I have to do is just basically plant, water, harvest. And I won't have to be making beds as I go and clearing trees and clearing this and clearing that. Other than a few weeds, it's pretty much ready to go. Wow. So what inspired you to do this? I know you had time with your grandmother as a child, but you know, all of a sudden, 20 years after her passing, you're okay, time to start farming. What's that about? Well, I always had a garden, like I said, coming up with her. I was probably the only 21-year-old guy in college that would go water his tomato plants with a massive hangover. I've always grown something. And half the stuff that I grow, I don't even like to eat. I just love to grow it and love to give it to people. And then I moved into a house, with a little backyard, had a little garden in the backyard. And two things really inspired me. Number one, Curtis Stone is the biggest like farming inspiration to me because of what he does. Like he's exactly what I want to do. You know, I want to make a living on a small plot of land and have your farm turn into a machine. Those of you that don't know Curtis Stone, he's a Canadian farmer that's really made market gardening or market farming a household name pretty much nowadays. Exactly. I found one of his YouTube videos during the winter before I 
bought my land and I was watching it. I got hooked. I saw a couple of his TED Talks and just really got hooked on what he was doing. It was amazing stuff. So then one night I was scrolling through Facebook. This video popped up of this like 40 year old guy and he's cussing a little bit and he's talking about business. I start listening to him and he's just very entertaining and you know very informative. His name is Gary Vaynerchuk or Oh yeah. Gary V. And I just loved what he was saying. Like it just really hit home what he was saying. So I really started looking him up. And of course he has thousands of videos and I found one called Smurf it up. And it's one of the ones that really set him off into being famous. And he basically said, you can make a living doing anything you want to do in 2000. And at the time it was like 15 or 16, you can make a living doing it with the cell phone and the internet and everything's at your fingertips. You can do it. And I really took that to heart and I really got to thinking because I've been teaching 16 years. And while I love it, I'm bored with it. I mean, you do anything for 16 years, it's just repetitive every year. Nothing ever changes. You just get tired of it. Yeah. And I'm kind of at that point with teaching. So I started thinking, I was like, whoa. I mean, I love to garden. I love to grow stuff. And I'm pretty good at it. I mean, there's a few things I don't grow very well. But for the most part, I grow a lot of good stuff. And I give it away to all my friends and stuff. Why don't I sell it? And then it just kind of evolved into, why don't I do what Curtis is doing? And in Texas, our subdivisions are really tightly spaced. I have probably five, 600 square feet in my backyard. Like I have a tiny backyard. So I knew I couldn't do it out of the backyard. But in Texas, there is a lot of space. So I typed in one night, land for sale in Dallas area, and the spot came up. And he had just put it on the market the day before. Wow. Went and looked at it, called my realtor. I said, I want it. I won't even, you know, jack him on the price. I'll bring you a check tomorrow. Gave him a check, got the property, and, you know, that was it. Wow. It's what I want to do the rest of my life. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and you got six miles from downtown Dallas, 7,500 for a half acre. That is a screaming deal. Oh, yeah. Like you said in the intro, it's zoned non-residential. Nobody can build a house on it. Uh It doesn't even have running water on it. It doesn't have electricity on it. So it's basically useless to anyone that doesn't want to use it for farming. And almost for farming with no water, it's almost as bad, but I make it work. So yeah, it was a steal. So how do you make the not having water on site work? There is a church that's right next door. We share a property line and Mm -hmm. it was built in the 50s. So it was kind of grandfathered into being zoned correctly and everything. And of course it has water. It's a very small church. I think it has about a hundred members. And one day I was on my farm working and I see this 70 year old guy out like trimming a tree or doing something. I don't remember what exactly it was, but I thought I need to go help that guy. So I walked over. I was like, hey, bud, you need some help? And he said, yeah, yeah, actually I do. So I helped him for about an hour. We got to talking, real nice guy. You know, out of the corner of my eye, I looked and there's a water spigot on the wall that faces my property. Mm -hmm. And without thinking about it or anything, I said, hey, bud, if I pay your water bill every month, can I use your water out of that water spigot right there? Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's brilliant. And he goes, you mean to water your farm with? I said, yeah, I'll pay your water bill. In my mind, I'm thinking they only flush the toilet on Sunday. They don't have a kitchen. Like they can't use that much water. Right. I said, and just so you know, I know we just met and that's kind of a big deal and all this. I'll give you $100 cash right now as earnest money. And he goes, well, I don't see why not. I ain't got nothing to lose out of this deal. So I keep a $100 bill in my pocket. I said, I'll give you the $100 bill. He said, that sounds good, Mike. I appreciate it. I said, no, I thank you. This is going to be great for me. So I'll run a water hose from his church to my property. That's brilliant. And I don't do it every day because it's 120 feet. It takes some time to walk back and forth, back and forth, unhooking it, rolling it up, everything. So I fill up 250-gallon water totes, about five of them. So I fill those up about once a month, and then I water out of the water totes. It saves me a lot of time. I can just turn the water spigot. I put the water totes on five-foot-tall 
wooden stands right so that i've got a little gravity pressure and it comes out and it works great i can just turn the knob and it waters itself just like i was watering out of the tap i just don't have quite as much pressure but it does the job nice and you're watering 67 beds that way no i have 67 beds i'm not using them all just yet this summer i was planning on it and we had the summer from hell for lack of a better word literally yeah and with the heat i mean it's 108 for eight straight days in dallas you can't even grow stuff at 108 Oh, yeah. We're in desert southwest in Phoenix, Arizona. Basically, what I tell people is we take July, August, September off. Yep. I'm seriously considering taking off July and August next year. I might give it a try again with a couple of techniques that I've talked to. You know the guy out at Steadfast Farms by any chance? Oh, yeah. I love that guy. That guy's farm is incredible. It's like the ultimate you know, market garden. But anyway, I talked to him, and he grows lettuce year-round in y'all's heat. So I've been talking with him and trying to figure it out. So I may give another year and try next summer to grow some lettuce. So anyway, I didn't use all my beds this summer like I was planning on because basically when it was 108 for eight days and the humidity was 80%, the heat index was 120, I said, you know what, screw it. I shut the farm down and started planting lettuce again in seed trays the second week of August and then started transplanting September 1st. And you know I'm back on the grind now. Perfect. So you started this with a business in mind. A hundred percent. Oh, yeah. Yes. So how's that working? It's awesome. I have more demand than I have supply. Like it's the ultimate business problem to have. Oh, no kidding. It's ridiculous. Like I don't even advertise. And if there's anybody out there that's thinking about doing this and questioning if you can really make any money doing it or not, and you live in a city, you can do it. One little trick that you can use is go to Instagram, put a bunch of nice pictures of your stuff and you know videos of you working on your farm and stuff or your garden, whatever, and then go to whatever city that you're in. Like I'm in Dallas. So I use the hashtag Dallas vegan one night. I just saw it and I was like, oh, Dallas vegan. You know, they eat vegetables, of course. So I clicked it. Right. There was 44,000 posts. Oh, wow. And like alarms just went off in my brain. I was like, this is it. And I just started following people. And, you know, I would comment on their posts like, hey, that looks great. This. I never once said, you want to buy anything from me? I just made the connection. And then if they followed me back, I would always send them a DM that said, hey, thanks for the follow. I really appreciate it. 90% of the time they would DM me back. Hey, your farm looks really nice. Where can I buy some of your stuff? Oh, nice. All you got to do is, you know, put the work in, laying in your bed at 11 o'clock at night. That's what I did for like a week straight. And I've got a list. It's up to about 85 people right now that I can shoot a text to right now. The list has the name, their IG name if they have one, and their phone number. And I can literally just copy and paste and text. Hey, I've got salad, tomatoes, and zucchini. Do you want some? If they say yes, okay, 15 bucks. I deliver, and then we just coordinate, and then I deliver once or twice a week. So you're delivering direct to your clients? Right now I am. And yes, it's not as profitable. I got gas money and mileage and time, but I don't care. I'm at the ground level, and right. I'm making good money doing what I love. So I'm not going to complain about having to deliver you know, five miles away. You know, you've got a good, solid structure in place. That's one of the biggest challenge. I've been growing food for 40 years, and figuring out the food growing part is your first biggest challenge. Your second biggest challenge is, okay, now what do you do with it? I often tell people that only 50% of being a farmer is growing food. The other 50% is figuring out what to do with the food when you've got it grown. Your best customers, like the people that you form a good relationship with, when you get extra stuff, text them, call them. When you drop off your stuff, be like, hey, I'll give you your next batch of stuff for free 
if you'll take a picture of this and post it on Facebook or post it on Instagram and just tag me in it with something like, hey, just picked up my dinner from Dallas Half Acre Farms. Take a look at them if you're interested in fresh veggies. They're the best. And I've gotten so many customers just from friends posting that I'd even ask to. Like it was one of those things. Oh, hey, she posted it. I got five people. Next time I have extra stuff, I'm going to call this lady because, you know, she's got a lot of friends in Dallas area. And social media is going to be the new way of advertising in the next 10 years. Yeah. Let's call it marketing. Yeah. Branding. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So have you thought about farmer's markets and selling to chefs? Farmer's market is a definite no for me. Really? Why? Well, two reasons. One, I don't have to. Like I sell every single thing that I get. Mm -hmm. There's no reason for me to. And number two, I don't want to be locked in on a Friday night getting everything prepared and a Saturday morning to have to go stand there and pray it doesn't rain or pray it's not 107 at 10 a.m. I don't like being on somebody else's schedule. Most of my stuff I already have sold before I even pick it. If I look at a bed, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get 30 pounds of salad mixed off of this and I've got probably 12 quarts of tomatoes. I'll have them sold the night before I harvest them. And then the next day I've got them all bagged up and I just go deliver them and I'm done. That is epic. You know, my listeners know that I'm always looking for epic. And that is an epic business move right there. It's not a lot of farmers out there that have figured out, hey, if I pre-sell my stuff, then all I have to do is pick it and deliver it, which is, that's brilliant. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And it works. There's five farms in Dallas. They're a lot more successful than mine on the growing stuff. But I've been trying to tell a couple of them that, hey, like just grow your stuff, but take my marketing size or my business side and try it and get rid of these farmers market for six months. I promise you, you can sell it if you'll just go out there and talk to people and just give some of your stuff away for free and just be a person and not a robot. I can't get anybody to try it, but you know, each their own. There you go. And you're doing it brilliantly. Congratulations. So what do you hope to accomplish? over the next 20 years with your farm? First thing is to quit teaching. I want to be able to afford to quit teaching. And there's a part of me that really wants to get into cattle also. There's a lot of land around here in Dallas, you know, out on the outskirts that I know I could lease. And I would love to get into cattle and, you know, slaughtering calves and selling grass fed and 100% range, you know, range cattle and doing that. I don't know if I'll ever get to just simply because it's a huge undertaking. I've got to find the right landowner. I've got to have the right money to get started. It's a lot more expensive to get started in cattle than it is lettuce. I would like to do that. Like that's my ultimate goal. In 20 years, if I'm, you know, let's see, I'll be 59. If I look back and say, I've been farming, you know, my half acre patch for 15, 16 years and I'm making a living, I'm a success in my book. Yeah. Nice. You've got a family of four. Are your kids involved? I have three kids and my wife. I count her as a fourth because she's about as high maintenance as my kids are. Love her to death. Uh Uh-oh. The kids, they come with me. They're 10, 6, and 2. My 10-year-old son comes with me quite a bit. You know, there's always stuff for him to do. Pick up rocks, clean out a bed, pull up stuff. My 6-year-old comes when I have enough patience to listen to daddy watch this and watch her jump off the compost pile. Mm-hmm. And then the two-year-old hasn't made it out there yet. She's a disaster waiting to happen. So we're going to hold off a while on her. But the 10-year-old likes to go. He's got a little bit of my entrepreneurship in him where he likes to make money. So he's like, can I have a quarter for every rock I pick up? He's always trying to figure out a way to swindle me out of some money. But yeah, they're involved. I hope my 10-year-old grows into it and really starts to like it. Yeah. So what about Veggie Fest? There's two Veggie Fest here in the Dallas area. One's Dallas Veggie Fest, and it's a little smaller, but it's just a festival and 
you know, it revolves around vegans and vegetables and fruits and healthy living and that type of stuff. I was invited to speak the last couple of years, basically just doing like an hour seminar on what I do, the business model. Nice. And small scale farming. Like so many people don't understand how much money you can make on a very small scale. You know, they think of carrots. Well, there's a row of carrot. Now skip over a foot and you got to have another row of carrots. So I just go in and explain, you know, you put nine rows of carrots in a 30 inch bed, 50 foot long, and that's hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of carrots in a 30 inch bed, you know, 25 or 50 feet long, however long you want to do it. And then you can do lettuce here and it's a cut and come again. So you get three or four cuttings off of it. I just explained to them basically what I've learned from Curtis's videos and stuff like that. And I just explain it to them in layman terms and show them pictures and be like, this is landscape fabric, just stuff like that. Because honestly, I would love to see a hundred of my farms go up in Dallas in the next 10 years. We need them. My ultimate wish would be like some guy sitting at Walmart that's head of produce for the country. Be like, why the hell is our produce sales going down in Dallas? And somebody else is like, well, there's a hundred local farmers in Dallas that people are buying from. It's not buying from Walmart anymore. That's the goal. Yeah. About 10, 12 years ago, I launched this concept called 10,000 Urban Farms in Phoenix. And when we did the math, so I sat down one day and on paper and did the math, there's 4.4 million people here. 10,000 urban farms in Phoenix would be a start, but we need, you know, exponentially more than that in order to feed Phoenix. And doing it the way you're doing it is brilliant. So congratulations. Thank you. It's funny that you said that because after one of my seminars at the Dallas Veggie Fest, a lady come up to me and she goes, hey, thank you so much. I've really been thinking of a way so I can make extra money. I love to garden. I'm really going to take what you said and try it. And she goes, but are you afraid I might take your customers? <laughs> I looked at her and without thinking, I didn't mean to be disrespectful. I started laughing. I said, ma'am, there's like 3 million people here. If I sell to 100 people, I make a lot of money for myself. I'm not worried about you taking one of my 100 people when there's 3 million of them here. Right. I said, and then you have restaurants and you have this and you have all these outlets. Like People want local stuff that I didn't even think about. Like there's a hotel down the road. Mm-hmm. They're very busy doing banquets and stuff like that for different corporations and stuff. One of my kids that I've taught for five years, his dad is the head chef at that hotel, found out what I'm doing. Oh, my God. Asked me in the parking lot one day when I was walking my car after school if I had anything. I said, yeah, I'll bring you some by tomorrow. He said, cool. I walk in. He goes, I love this. Can I get 100 pounds a week? 100 pounds of salad mix a week. And I just started laughing. I was like, no, sir. <laughs> and he looked at me like I was crazy. I was like, I can't grow you 100 pounds of salad mix right now. I said, give me a year, maybe 18 months, and I'll come back and holler at you. He didn't even ask me what I got for it. Right. That's the exciting thing about this is that people are so ready. And you're finding that, aren't you? It's ridiculous. I tell people all the time that love to garden, find you somebody's big backyard, tell them you'll give them free vegetables all year, and ask if you can farm their yard. Oh, I can't grow enough. And then I have to sit there and break it down, which I don't mind doing. And then the light bulb comes on. I'm like, come to my farm and let me show you what I'm doing in a little bitty space. I'm not even talking about my whole half acre because I'm not farming it right now. I'm just growing, you know, maybe 30 beds right now. And then a couple of them show up like, okay, I've got some people going. Very few people are willing to take a leap of faith like I did and just say, I'm going to do it. Quite honestly, you did it in a big way. A half acre start. That's a big way of doing it. I have two friends here in the Phoenix area that 20 plus years ago, they rented a thousand square feet at Scottsdale Community College Garden. And they started on a thousand square feet. And I highly suggest that you start with a thousand or two thousand square feet and, you know, jump off from there. hundred percent agree. 
if I could go back and do it all over again, I would go ahead and buy my property just because I think I have so much of my grandpa in me. I want my own land. I'm a control freak and I want to be able to do what I want to do on my land. I would have still bought that half acre, but I would have maximized every inch of a thousand square feet before I cleared another thousand feet and then maximized that 2000 feet. And I would have done it that way because I got so overwhelmed with 67 beds and I spent days just keeping weeds from going to seed out of all 67 when I didn't have them planted in anything because I was waiting for the next succession and planning and it was just so overwhelming. 100% agree with what you said about starting at a thousand square feet. I think that's great. One of my favorite tactics is to find a chef at a small restaurant and ask him or her what they want and then grow that for them. And it'll probably be a specialty crop, you know, because you can get more money for specialty crops. That's what I did. Actually, when I went back to college, I was 39 in 1999. When I went back to college, I was growing for two restaurants, two small, you know, single location restaurants. And basically what I would do is I would grow and harvest what I had and I'd take it over to them and they'd buy it from me. Yep, that's definitely a good way to do it. Well, congratulations. This is epic what you're doing. I love it. I'm enjoying doing it. I'm definitely struggling with a few things, but, you know, working my way through Welcome it. Welcome to life. <laughs> exactly. If it's all easy, everybody would do it. Right, exactly. Welcome to life. Well, I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. So this summer was the biggest failure since I started. I had massive plans for this summer. I had all this money I was going to make. I already knew what I was going to spend every dime on in the fall. I had the customers just dying, just waiting to buy from me, and I couldn't produce in the heat. The heat just destroyed me. Like I said, it got to 108 for eight days straight, and I watered tomatoes and zucchini, and of course, I gave up the salad mix because it was a lost cause. Oh yeah, in that kind of heat. I thought, well, I can still do tomatoes and zucchini. I got my okra coming on, so I can still make this work. I couldn't make it work. You know, tomato plants are six feet tall, so you really can't put shade cloth on them unless you have a high tunnel. So I couldn't do that. And then when you get that hot, your plants start to fade a little bit. Then you get disease set in because disease and pests love plants that are struggling. So I ended up just throwing my hands up and saying, the heck with it. I'm going to come in. I'm going to take a few weeks off, kind of get things cleared up and get a new path set for the fall. And I did that. And looking back in hindsight, it was probably the best thing that could have happened. I got refocused and re-energized. And I'm really excited about the fall, you know, moving forward. And as far as what I learned from it was you can't fight Mother Nature. You just can't do it. And I'm afraid, and I'm not a big global warming person and all that, but every single year, the last six years in Dallas, the current summer was hotter than the last summer, which was hotter than the last summer. So I don't see this trend changing. Next year, we may have 110 for six days straight instead of 108. Right. I don't think anything's going to change as far as the weather. So I'm probably going to mail it in the you know middle of July through the end of August and just spend time with the family and enjoy my summer break. Yeah. You know, when you think about it in the colder parts of the country where they get, you know, deep snow, you know, they shut down their food production for two or three months. We're just the opposite calendar. You know, I've talked to farmers that are farming in the east in the very cold parts of the country. And, you know, they use that time to catalog seeds and, you know, get re-energized. Basically what you just said. Yep. You know, I think that's a really wise thing to do is to take some time off. I'm all for that. Maybe try a few things just to see if they work. Like that way you're not over there eight hours a day. You can go there an hour or two, do your thing and see how they work. I've been talking to a seed company that they swear that 
this type of lettuce will grow in this heat with shade cloth. So I may try a bed of that next summer just to see how it works for the next summer. Like this is like a 10, 12, 15 year process. So if I can learn something next summer that'll benefit me the next 30 years, it's worth my time. Yeah. Beautiful. So what do you consider your biggest success? Probably taking an absolute nothing piece of crap half acre and turn it into a legit urban farm and having no debt at the end of the day. Like I could walk away from it right now and I would be no worse off than I was when I bought it. Yeah, that's huge. So many companies and people start businesses and they take out $100,000 loan or a $50,000 loan or, you know, whatever. I literally spent $400. I used my inheritance money for the land. I spent $400 of my own money for landscape fabric and like seed. Like I had to spend, you know, about $100 on Salanova seed to get me started. And I spent 400 bucks and I started my farm. And my goal is $1,000 a month is what I want to make off of it from now on, mm-hmm. unless I shut it down. I'm 99% sure I'm going to make a thousand dollars in October. Ninety-nine percent sure I'm gonna make a thousand dollars in November. So in order to do that, and I look back and I have four hundred dollars invested in it. That's pretty dang good. I haven't bought one thing on my farm that I haven't made the money from my farm. Uh-huh. I just bought a fifty-foot caterpillar tunnel, fourteen feet wide, fifty-foot long for the fall, and I saved literally every dime I could just so I could buy that for the fall. Yeah, if you're a fan of Dave Ramsey, you're doing it the way you know Dave says. Yeah which is don't get in debt. Congratulations. Thank you. What drives you? There's a couple of things. Number one is regret. If you're a Gary Vee fan, you know, he talks about that a lot. It's like the biggest fear in life for him is regret. And he goes, because I've looked at a 90 year old man in the face and he knows he can't do it anymore. He can't go and you know build that business he wants to do or whatever. And while I have a great life, I enjoy teaching. You know, I go home to great kids and a great wife, and I love everything about my life. There's just something missing in it. It's owning my own business. Whatever it is for that person out there, if you got a drive to do something on your own to call your own, then just do it. You know, after you get home from work, do your side project for a few hours. You know, that's what I do. I get up at four in the morning. I'm up at four every day. Go to the gym, work out. I'm at my farm by 5.30, I work till 7.30, and then I go to my school. You know, and after school, I'll swing by and work a couple hours. So, like, regret's one of the biggest drivers to me is I don't want to be 90 and look back and say, God, I wonder what would have happened if I would have fallen my dream of owning my own farm. Mm Mm-hmm. That's one. And then a little less philosophical is I just don't want to teach anymore. Like I want to wake up four in the morning, go to the gym, go to my farm and stay till three or four o'clock in the afternoon, come home, be with my kids and do it all over again the next day. Like I love going to my farm. I'd rather go to my farm than do anything else. I love that. Cool. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? I'm going to give you a book. And then there's something I want to follow up the book with. Number one, it's The Urban Farmer by Curtis Stone. I'm not a big book reader. I have a bunch of books as like a reference because I'll go in and reference that book and say, okay, how many rows did Curtis plant of carrots in his beds? So I'll use it as a reference point, but like sitting there reading a book, I don't read a whole lot of books. That's the one book I would recommend to anyone. But the second part of that is YouTube. You asked me about reading books. YouTube is insane with the amount of information out there. And there's a guy by the name of Gabe Brown, and he lives in North Dakota. He's a rancher, and he's one of the leading experts on soil health in the world. goes all over the world. And just coincidentally, I am going to buy his book. He has a new book coming out in November called From Dirt to Soil. Yep. I just interviewed him on the podcast, like in the past two weeks. He's an amazing man. I've watched so many of his talks, but anyway, you can find out anything you want to find out on YouTube. And if you're an audio learner, like I am, instead of like a visual learner reader, Mm -hmm. that's me. 
I don't even listen to the radio. I type in YouTube on my phone, plug it into my speaker on my car, and I just listen to stuff all day long. Driving back and forth to work, at the farm, I've got my headphones in, listening the TED Talks and stuff like that. That's why I like podcasts. Yes, 100%. I've listened to you know a lot of your podcasts. There's a Mike the Gardener on YouTube has a great podcast. I was on his a while back. So you know it's going really, really, really well. Those are the two things that I'd say. Excellent. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? If you have a passion for something, you can make money at it. You may not be able to do it full time unless you're really good at it, but you can make money at it. There's no reason why you can't make a podcast built around something that you love. And if you're good at it, then you will make money at it. There'll be advertisers that want to come along. Mm -hmm. You want to write about it? Write about it. There's just so many opportunities for people nowadays to make money with the phone. Everything's digital. Everything's at your fingertips. So don't think you can't make money at it. I'm a teacher turned farmer or hoping to turn farmer. Yeah, no, you are. You are. Just because I like to grow tomatoes in my backyard. And now thanks to YouTube and you know Instagram plays a huge part. I talk to the people at Steadfast Farms on DM. I talk to Ray Tyler at Rose Creek Farms. You know, I talk to Curtis a few times on DM, just asking questions and learning. And you'll find people want to help people. That's just human nature. Oh, yeah. When you post my link up there, if there's anybody out there that has any questions about what I do or how I do it, please don't hesitate to contact me because I would love to help people. I feel it's my obligation to help people because if it wasn't for Curtis putting his stuff out there and JM putting his stuff out there, I never would be doing this. So I feel obligated to help as many people as I can. Amen to that. That's why I do almost 400 episodes of a podcast. I know. I saw that. I was hoping I'd be number 400. You're real close. Actually, Elliot Coleman is going to be our 400th podcast episode coming up. I guess I'll let Elliot Coleman be number 400 then. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Michael. Yes, sir. I enjoyed it. would love to come back and visit some more. Excellent. Well, yeah, I'd love to follow up maybe in six months and see how you're doing. We do follow-up podcasts with people all the time. Sounds great. Just let me know. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? Easiest way is Instagram. I'm on it all the time. I mean, I roll some balls out, you know, when it's free play for the kids and I play on Instagram and watch them play. So Instagram is Dallas Half Acre Farms with an S on the end of it. So it's at Dallas Half Acre Farms. And you can find me there. And like I said, DM me if you have questions or just want to chat. I'm always up for a good conversation about different stuff. Cool. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Dallas Half Acre Farms. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. 
But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.